This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Good morning, this is Gary Plummer. You're listening to the iTest for Two with Clark and Ira. I'm Clark Judge. Myra Kaufman. And of course, we're both Hall of Fame voters, as I hope you know by now, and joined today, as always, by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. But now this week is the beginning of NFL free agency. And to get to the bottom of what's going on, we're also joined by former Green Bay Packers VP Andrew Brandt, who's now a professor and executive director at the Murad Center for the study of sports law at Villanova. He's also a columnist for Sports Illustrated and The Athletic, and an articulate and influential voice on Twitter where he has nearly 200,000 followers. And I'm one of them, and I think Iris one of them as well. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to do it too. I'm also in your world. I have my own podcast called The Business of Sports. And I know exactly what you're doing here. And I think it's great, you know, to give more voices with experience like you guys and in my lane. I just think it's great to have so many uh, voices out there speaking knowledge about this sport. Well, you're one of the most knowledgeable voices, I think, on the uh, financial end of it and understand what's going on with free agency. So I'll start right out of the gate here by asking you uh, about the cap. It's down nearly $16 million, which was supposed to curb spending. At least some people thought so. But you'd never know it by the opening of legal tampering, which I think is an interesting concept, legal tampering, right? Yeah. But anyway, you'd never know. Um, so what, what's going on, and are you surprised by the flurry of activity? Well, I think when first when we get to the diminished cap, it's never happened. You know, we've been around football a long time. The cap started in 1993. It's always gone up. And I think that's one issue. The other issue is this is no surprise because the NFL and NFLPA got together in July and had basically a mini CBA approaching COVID, how we're going to deal with it, protocols, health and safety. <clears throat> and the financial, they looked forward and said, hey, we're going to have a problem in 2021. We agree the cap's going to go no lower than 175. And that was July. So the reason I bring that up is because this myth that I wrote about in Sports Illustrated that some how teams are waking up in February and saying, oh, my God, lower cap. It's a myth. Everybody's known about it. And just like teams spend eight months working on the draft, they should have spent eight months working on the cap. Teams can gain an advantage right now because of this low cap really allows teams to separate themselves that have done well in managing the cap. So you see teams out of the box, as you mentioned, like the Patriots and others, taking advantage of what may be a depressed market. I know what people are saying, well, there's big spending like every year. And yes, there is. But you know my caveat. 
We've got to see what these real deals are. And knowing the Patriots, who are the biggest spenders so far, they really don't pay what they're reported to pay. And so I think we're going to see deals that are a little different than what's reported out there. So let me ask you on the, on the heels of that, since you mentioned the Patriots, what's the biggest surprise for you thus far? I mean, there has been a lot of flurry of activity by the Patriots who typically don't go into the free agent market, maybe the, the first or second week and they set, get the second and third tier guys. But is it that I, I'll be honest with you. I was surprised with, I mentioned the Packers where you worked at one point re-signing Aaron Jones. I didn't think that was going to happen, but they did. Um, Kansas city cutting its two offensive tackles. What, what, What's gotten your attention? Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, here we are. Free agency is supposed to start Wednesday the 17th. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and we're already acting like it's over. Um, <laughs> and we're a day before it even starts. So I guess, you know, it would have to be the Patriots top of market tight ends because it's not a traditionally high paying position for one team, one team only. It's the Patriots. Yeah, right. As I've remarked a few times on Twitter the last couple of days, they don't pay quarter, they don't pay running backs, they don't pay wide receivers, they barely pay quarterbacks since Brady, and then you could argue they hardly paid Brady what he was actually worth. Yet they pay tight ends, and this is not new. You know the deal they did for the late Aaron Hernandez, the deals they did for Rob Gronkowski, and now these two deals. It's just a strange way to go about spending your money. I would estimate that. 20 at least of the 32 teams were like, yeah, we're going to kind of go cheap at tight end. And so that really caught my attention. And then I think on the other side of it, you mentioned the cuts, uh, the two tackles from Kansas City. You know, Kyle Von Noy was the marquee free agent for the Dolphins last year. One of those first hour free agents that we just talked about. Uh, And he's cut and he's on the market. And so it just shows you these deals aren't worth the paper they're written on. And I think the last thing is uh, Shaq Barrett going back to Tampa, not even testing door number two. Um, you know, he, it seems to me he would have a really strong market and just the numbers are reported like he really took a discount. And you just wonder if he want, went out there and then came back to the Bucks saying, I can get X you know, maybe could have got more money. And I, and then of course my team, and I've been asked about this thousand times since it happened, Aaron Jones, you know, I really think this is bigger than the player. Uh, you talk about a guy that's truly loved in the locker room, just a really, really loved kid in that locker room. That makes a difference. Andrew, I'm down here in Tampa, Buck fans, obviously thrilled about what's going on. So, you know, not so much God when he got the franchise tag, but Levante, David, Andrew, uh, Shaq Barrett, as you just noted, Gronkowski, obviously. Um, how much do you ascribe some of this stuff to uh, what we call the Brady effect? When you have somebody like Brady, and there isn't anybody like him, Andrew, but you had Favre in Green Bay. Uh, do you get discounts? Is, is he a factor uh, on attracting free agents and retaining the ones you have? I think so. You know, it's hard to quantify, Ira, whether that's, million less a year, 500,000 less a year. But the short answer is yes. And I did experience that in Green Bay with Brett Favre. And that had, that has happened in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, where, you know, Devontae Adams is way under the top market. Uh, David Bakhtiari is way under the top market, but they're playing with Aaron Rodgers. And I think that's happening in Tampa. Um, 
it's causing a lot of, I can tell you, Ira, it's causing a lot of Brady envy around the league. <laughs> Where, you know, and specifically, I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing Russell Wilson is one of those guys that's like, I want some of that. You know, I want some of that power, some of that ability to bring in players, some of that ability to call the shots. And I don't, you know, and maybe Aaron, my friend Aaron Rodgers as well, in some of his comments after the championship game, some Brady envy out there. But it took 20 years for Brady to get it. That's a difference. Andrew, speaking of Russell Wilson, you know, and and, and Deshaun Watson, those situations, Andrew, uh, as you as a former executive, who's got the leverage, Mr. Brandt? Who's got the leverage in terms of, could these teams, you know, sort of say, well, what are you going to do? Sit out the season and not collect your paycheck? Um, what do you think the dynamics are in terms of who's got the power there? Yeah, these are really interesting situations because, you know, on the one hand, the Texans have come out and said we're not trading them, which if I'm a front office, that's what I would do. I'm like, you're never getting equal value. Why would you trade them? And the Seahawks have not come out and said that, which is a little strange. But I guess if you had to say, I still, and maybe this is my management creeping into my com- my comments, I still think management has the leverage here because they're not going to be free agents. Watson just signed and Wilson's got a couple years left. So you're right. What are they going to do? Um, now, Watson's case He's got no leverage in my mind, at least until August, because what's he going to do? Miss Zoom meetings? Who cares? (laughs) But (laughs) in August, he has leverage because if he makes himself a pain in the you know what, that could be a problem. And no, you know, that's my my saying is hold ins. I never had one in Green Bay, but hold ins would bother me more than hold outs. Uh, the kid at uh, Jacksonville did this last two years ago, uh, Jalen Ramsey, you know, made himself a pain in the you know what and got himself out of there. Uh, if Deshaun Watson decides, OK, you're making me come in, it's not going to be pretty. Then he gets some leverage. Russell Wilson, you think, is too nice a guy to do that. And you think that about Watson, too. But we'll see. We're with Andrew Brent here on the Eye Test for Two podcast. And Andrew, we had John Clayton on here a week ago, and we were asking him specifically about Russell Wilson. And he said he's not going anywhere. Pretty much described the reason as being all financial, the financial impact on yeah. the team. They're not going to do this. Um, and so then we did ask him about Deshaun Watson. And he said, I expect he's going to be with that team at the beginning of the season. I don't think he's going to be there at the end of the season for exactly the same reason you just talked about with the Jalen Ramsey situation. Would you tend to agree with one or both of those scenarios? Yeah, I just don't think it will last very long if if it is that Jalen Ramsey. I mean, I don't know if John's thinking by the trade deadline. That just seems like a long time. He was. To deal with, you know, weeks and weeks of, of that on discontent. So I almost think he gets in there in August. It's a pain in the butt for a couple of weeks. <laughs> but I also look at it from a front office perspective where people have asked me, sorry for that. <laughs> people have asked me, um, what's equal value? You know, if, you know, put your, put your GM hat on, what are you going to get for Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson? And I'm like, 
I don't know. I mean, there is no equal value because people talk about, well, you got this for golf and this for what. And, and I'm like, no, I, if I'm the Seahawks or the Texans, I don't want picks. I don't want picks. I don't want four number one picks. I guess I would say, all right, give me your roster. I want your best young defensive player. I want your best young offensive player. I want your quarterback. I mean, and then go from there. That's why even taking aside all the dead money, which I agree with John, it's just ridiculous with, with Wilson. Um, how do you get equal value in a trade? It's, it, it's impossible. And I think there was also the thought that if you accede to Deshaun Watson's wishes, then you're going to have a line of guys coming yeah. to the front office saying, okay, you let him go. We want to go to you buy that. Yeah, I mean, this was my my job at the Packers, where right. what people don't realize about contract negotiations, if you're an agent, which I was for 10 years too, you just care about your guy. <laughs> you, don't, you don't care about the rest of the team. You say you do, but you don't. If you're a team negotiator, every move you make is scrutinized by every other player in the locker room and every other agent in the locker room. So yes, whatever you do with one, is going to be held for everyone. And that's why language and contracts are so important for the top guys. If I got Brett Favre to take a certain clause in his contract and then another player argues about that clause, I'd just say, oh, Brett, Brett Favre contract, and everyone shuts up. <laughs> no, so these are the, the important things to do with big-time players. Andrew, in your experience, how difficult is it to lose a player to free agency that the organization really wanted to keep but ultimately was unsuccessful. Uh, what kind of gut punch is that? It stinks, you know, but that's why one thing I was always cognizant of in Green Bay, because let's be honest, it's the mo- not the most geographically desirable place for free agents. And I wanted to get our guys signed early in their contract stream so they wouldn't approach free agency because, you know, there's attractive options out there and you just try to keep them. So I would go to players after year two, three, and just try to lock them up um, because I didn't want players sniffing the finish line of their contract. That's where they have the most leverage money-wise and that's where they have most leverage to leave. So it stinks. I mean, we didn't lose a lot, Ira. I mean, I remember being upset to lose Amon Green to the Texans, uh, our running back, but he eventually came back, lost Darren Sharper, who was our star safety uh, to the Vikings, but not a lot, you know? Um, So we were always pretty proactive. Andrew, in in negotiating with agents, you know, the common theme is, you know, the guy's going to take the money. Ultimately it's going to come down to money and free agency. How true is that, Andrew? Are, are there other factors and, and how prevalent are the other factors? Yeah, you mentioned Brady. I mean, there are, there are other factors. Um, it's interesting, you know, when you sort of learn about players and what's important to them. Um, sometimes it is where they grew up, you know, but then I remember, I won't say what player, who I was trying to recruit as a free agent who's from Wisconsin, and I thought we had an upper hand. And he's like, hey, listen, I got to tell you, it's not a positive Wisconsin because I don't want to be around all these family and friends angling for tickets every week. 
you know, coming home, and maybe this was true for J.J. Watt, uh, is not that obvious. You know, there's other reasons behind it. The wife's family, whatever, you know, the, the, the kids, schools, weather, you never know. But obviously money is a driving factor. But with a lot of these deals, Ira, money's similar among different teams. It's just really picking the spot. We're with Andrew Brandt on the iTest for two. And Andrew, I want to ask you a question about your philosophy with free agency as a club executive. Um, I covered a lot of the Eagles when uh, Joe Banner was there and, and Andy Reid. And I know Joe was really reluctant, as the club was, to uh, do anything with free agents or likely free agents who were 30 years old or older. They were really reluctant due to long-term deals. And there's some teams that are like that, fortunately. The Tampa Bay Bucks weren't one of them the past year. But um, there are teams that are like that. And there are teams, as we mentioned earlier, that like to spit out the initial wave of a free agency where all the money spent on uh, high-profile players. What camp are you in? What's your philosophy on, on signing unrestricted free agents? Yeah, I, I think they're dangerous waters and uh, it's proven every year. <laughs> Yet people still say you got to sign free agents. I get it. It's exciting. It's hot stove. People, fans like it because they think you're doing something. But my saying, Clark, has always been, you know, teams that win in March rarely win in January. And so I'm, you know, in the Packers, we clearly sat out the, what you just described as kind of the stupid part of free agency. And we did get in now and then, you know, there was that year 2006 where we looked around like six days into free agency and like, hey, no one's chasing Charles Woodson. What the heck's going on? Yeah. And then began like a month long negotiation because your earlier questions, he did not want to come to Green Bay, Wisconsin. And he was hoping John Gruden in Tampa would show some interest. And uh, we finally got him. It was just, you know, after just waiting it out. But yeah, I just think, and here's the question I always ask, why isn't their team keeping him? You know, what's wrong? What's wrong with them? What do we don't know? Why isn't the team going to every effort to keep him? Because I know if we really want a guy, we keep him. And you don't let him go to free agency. And the superstars, you get, you know, two years before free agency, you're locking up. So those are the questions I asked. And so we mentioned the Patriots earlier. Sorry, Ira, but I want to ask you one question about the Patriots. We asked about them earlier. They re-signed Cam Newton. I'll be honest with you. I was surprised by that. Uh, I don't know if you were or not, but they've now collected a couple free agent wide receivers, the two best or high profile tight ends on the free agent market. Are you surprised that they re-signed him given his recent history, not only in terms of injuries, but in terms of productivity. I'm talking specifically about passing the ball. Yeah. And I'm wondering if he's going to be the answer. I mean, I guess I wondered it last year too. And uh, he ended up being the guy. I know I just kind of thought Stidham and they would compete. And I I don't know. I, I don't, I guess all I'm saying is I don't think the Patriots are done at quarterback. And where do you think they go? The draft? Yeah. Or? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Now maybe that, yeah. And maybe that's means Newton does have the job for this year, but. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't see them bringing in a, somebody said to me a, a veteran, I said, you could bring in a veteran, have Cam Newton set on the yeah, bench. Yeah. I, I don't think so. That doesn't make sense. Right. Andrew, we had Jeff Duncan uh, from New Orleans on, and he was talking about how, you know, Andrew, when you get a Drew Brees, you know, uh, approaching the end of his career, you're, you're, you're all in. And we saw it here in Tampa. They're all in. 
I mean, you know, why else would you re-sign a Rob Gronkowski uh, and a 31-year-old linebacker like David? So, Andrew, did you ever feel that in those final few years, maybe 06, 07, with Favre, like, you know, there's a 32-year-old free agent and, and he can help us now and, and we're not going to worry that much about our cap situation four years down the line. Did, did you ever go through that in Green Bay? I think we probably stayed true and maybe, you know, people criticize us. We stayed true to our philosophy, which is really draft and develop and sign up the young core players and not chase the quick fixes. So no, we, we never sort of felt pressure to do that. I worked for, in those years, I worked for a GM named Ted Thompson, who was extremely conservative and extremely wary of free agents. So we didn't go down that path. You know, sometimes I had to deal with Brett and his agent, like, you know, aren't you getting us the best players? Or, and you have to say, hey, you got to trust. You know, you got to trust that this kid, Greg Jennings, is going to work out. This kid, Donald Driver, you know, and and you're, you know, they're saying we don't have a lot of time for them to, you know, get to be really good. And you just got to deal with that. It's, you know, it's it's philosophy. Uh, the problem with the win now is only one team wins. So I look at a team, you know, the, the, the illustrative team on that side is the Rams. They've been all in for a couple of years now and they haven't won. And they have a cap that's terrible. They have no number one draft picks. So they're at it again with Stafford. We'll see. But you don't want to leave behind that kind of team. And and the Saints are paying the price yeah. in terms of the salary cap this year. Andrew, last one for me. Thanks so much for your time. Um, Andrew, during your time in the 2000s, uh, you know, we like to ask this question about the Hall of Famers, Clark and I. Um, anybody, anybody, Andrew, that you're a little frustrated that you think should be a really strong candidate for Canton, maybe uh, somebody that played against Green Bay or played with Green Bay that um, you think deserves um, a little bit of consideration in that room, Andrew, somebody you think might might be a little bit overlooked. Mm. And, and Sterling Sharp's name comes up and Leroy Butler's obviously a little bit before you. Yeah, Leroy was there when I got there. And Leroy was uh, a key for us in the locker room as we sort of transitioned to a younger team. Um you know, funny story that Leroy, you know, one of my first jobs was Ron Wolf says to me, Hey, I need, need all this cap room. I said, how do we do that? He said, we well, got to ask for pay cuts. Um, <laughs> so here I am a, a freshman in Santana Dotson and all these guys. And one of them was Leroy and I barely met the kid and uh, <laughs> yeah, we need money. So I talked to him a couple times and I kind of raised it and then I call him on a, he's at a, he's at a Costco or Best Buy you know, and he didn't want to deal with the agent. So I got the pay cut. And, and the way I explained it to him, is like, you got a young stud next to you at safety. I mentioned him before here, Darren Sharper. So look at it as I'm going to take this and give it to him. Okay. So <laughs> Uh, he's like, all right, when you phrase it that way, we can do it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of people they played against, we always game plan for in my division for Erlocker. Um, the one kid, the one guy that makes me feel so old because his son, 
his son, Ira, is on your team there. His son, <laughs> the guy that killed us in Minnesota was Antoine. Antoine. Win- yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That guy, we game planned around him every game. And, and um, his, his son's a pretty good player. Yeah, Andrew, he's, he's a pretty good player. He yeah. is indeed. Andrew, I've got a couple last ones for you as well. Uh, at the beginning, I mentioned the legal tampering period. And it's sort of a bottom line question. Why do we have legal tampering when this is all going on? And rather than just saying, hey, Monday, it's it's the start of free agency. Because you have legal tampering, to me, it implies that there's been a whole lot of illegal tampering going on before this. I don't know. I don't know what the reasoning is. I think it's it's really an acceptance by the NFL that this goes on. Mm-hmm. And maybe they accept it goes on a lot before, 48 hours before. But uh, now they're saying, okay, we'll bless it. Yeah, um, right. You can negotiate. You know, and and I think people are not actually signing deals like that's prohibited. But, you know, when we see 401 on Wednesday with deals being announced, you know, that's the reasoning. And listen, four weeks ago, Stafford and Goff got traded and the NFL, not anyone else, the NFL put out a tweet welcoming Matthew Stafford to L.A., and I'm like, wait a minute, we're not trading till March 17th. <laughs> but once they did, once they did that, I'm like, all bets are off. That's right. Um, also, a, a question to you about uh, a potential free agent quarterback who's no longer a free agent quarterback. That's Dak Prescott. Do you know mm-hmm. we got the uh, reported four-year, 160 million dollar deal, 126 million in guarantees. My question for you is, what? implications does that have for others and i'm talking about frontline players in the future specifically zeke elliott and amari cooper i mean how are they gonna be able to afford all these guys well they were extremely low paying team last year despite those names you mentioned which tells me that a lot of young players on rookie contracts so i think they were one or two in terms of lowest spending team in the nfl last year um primarily because they even even with dak on his franchise tag uh, I wrote about this in my current column in Sports Illustrated. It's a massively strong deal. It's one that I think is the best deal in a long time I've seen. He's set new records in first-year money, $75 million. Three-year money, 126 which is actually twice double what Pat Mahomes got, three-year money. And then four-year money of 160 It's It's a strong deal. The best part of it is four years. He's going to be a free agent again at age 31, unless Dallas does something crazy then. So what a deal for Prescott. Uh, it really shows that the Mahomes deal is an outlier, 10-year deal. Nobody wants that. Watson signed for five years. This is four years. Um, you know, I'm going to push back, Clark, because I, I think it's a real cop-out when people say, oh, if you get a $30, $40 million quarterback, you can't contend, you can't compete. I'm like, yes, you can. What gets teams in trouble is all the things I wrote about, about cap, dead cap, people no longer on your team, bad contract decisions you made, you know, leaving behind 23 million on Drew Brees contract, leaving behind 34 million on Carson Wentz's. That's what gets you in trouble. So uh, they'll be fine. As long as they manage all the other bad stuff that other all in. So, you know, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff are two of the most, the massive mistakes in the history of the sport because they went all in and then they got out. (laughs) You can't do that. You got extreme penalties when you did that. And those teams are suffering. And lastly, since you mentioned Carson Wentz, 
I know you live and, and work in the greater Philadelphia area. Um, I think you also once consulted and negotiated mm -hmm. contracts for the Eagles as well. Um, and as you mentioned here, uh, I follow you on, on Twitter, but you were baffled. Uh, you did a video about a two and a half minute video. You were baffled by the team's move of Carson Wentz talking about relationships, um, especially considering yeah. the enormous cap hit it absorbs in terms of dead money. I guess my question for you is, if you were managing the Eagles, what would you have done? And what does this move tell us about the Eagles in the near or not? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to be, um, you know, Monday morning quarterback, but same with Watson as with Wentz. It's like, what's going on, you know, with the agent, with the player, with the team, with the coach, what, why is this such a problem? Why is Wentz so unhappy? What can we do to fix this? And I thought it was at first the coaching staff, but Doug Peterson was fired and still the problem. So I never thought it would happen. As I said in the video, a $34 million cap, the biggest in the history of sport by far. You know, there's no player in the NFL that they went more all in on. No one mm -hmm. between draft picks and contracts. So <laughs> it's a massive failure of the organization. It's a breach of trust somewhere. And I'm not saying it's all the Eagles problem or fault. Um, but I would not have traded him for the compensation they got. I would not have traded him for a third round pick and a second next year. I just would not have. There's two, you know, is that worth 34 million on your cap? Is that worth trading someone that still has it? Because two years ago he was playing MVP level. Um, I would not have, which tells me, as you say, suggested, this was a much more personal situation. And that's what people don't realize about managing the cap and managing teams. It is business, but it's personal. It doesn't feel good about you. You're, that's a problem. Yeah. You know? so, and you hope it works. Andrew Brent, thanks so much. I know this has been or is a busy week for you, but can't thank you enough for joining us. And um, thanks for the education. Really appreciate it. You got it, guys. Always good. Thanks, AB. Thanks. Take care. That was Andrew Brandt, uh, who knows as much about the, the financial aspects of the NFL as anybody out there and is a columnist for Sports Illustrated and for The Athletic and Ira. I was interested in what he had to say about the Brady effect, and I think he's absolutely right. Any final thoughts here? You're going out yeah, of town? Rob, yeah, quickly. You know, Clark, I, I've changed my mind. I've changed my mind on Russell Wilson and, and Seattle. I, I originally said, no way you can even think about trading this guy. He's great. He leads all these uh, fourth quarter comebacks. But Clark, I've been thinking. He's 33. He's taken a heck of a lot of punishment over the years. And if you can cash in with something like three first round draft picks and a player, and then you go and get Sam Darnold for a second or third round draft pick, all of a sudden you're, you've restocked your franchise. So Clark, in that respect, you know, he's not 25. He's he's going to be 33 in November. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's nuts that you cash in and um, and you start um, the rebuilding process rather quickly, rather quickly. Well, as our guest Andrew Brandt pointed out, the Seahawks aren't saying anything as opposed to the Texans. So that may speak volumes. And anyway, that's a wrap for this week. Our tell list is where they can find you on Twitter. At iKaufman76. Ian? At IGLEN31. And as me, it's at, at Clark Judge TOF. If we don't hear from you there, as you know, you will hear from us here next week at, I tell them where, the eye test for two, Clark. 
you have at the eye tester too. Thanks so much for listening. We